This is Jocko Underground Podcast number 41 with Echo Charles sitting here across from me. I'm Jocko Willink. Mm. Uh, so there's a little something to talk about. The idea of, of thinking I'm wrong. Like if you and I are going to have a conversation and I go into the conversation thinking, hmm, I could be wrong. Mm. What does that do? I'll tell you something extremely positive that happens, and this is how I go into conversations. I go into conversations thinking, hey, you know, uh, Echo's got a plan for doing something. I've got a plan for doing something. I'm probably wrong. Echo's idea's probably right. So cool, let's have a conversation and he can prove that he's right. And show me how he's right, and I'll, I'm okay with being wrong. So what does that do? It opens my mind. Opens my mind. Now, does this mean I blindly say, yes, Echo's right, and I'm wrong? No, no, no. I might ask you some earnest questions, but I'm not going to get hostile about it. I'm not going to get get aggro about it. I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, be okay. Now, where people might get concerned about this is then you think, oh, well, if I'm going into a conversation thinking uh, uh, I'm wrong, then I don't have any confidence. No, I'm sorry. As soon as he says something, I'm just going to shut down. No, here's where this. Here's where we have to. Here's where we have to open your mind a little bit. If you go in with an attitude of "Hey, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong," it actually increases your confidence. Oddly enough, because it's almost like going into a game or a grappling match where you know you're gonna lose. Now, look, you go in your, you could have, let's say you were a 10 time, let's say you were 10 time world champion in jujitsu and I was a purple belt. You were a black belt, 10 time world champion Mm -hmm. and you and I were gonna scrap. Mm -hmm. I could go in like, oh, I'm gonna get beat and that could hurt my confidence. Mm -hmm. Or I could go in like, hey man, this guy's a world champion 10 times and he's a black belt and I'm only a purple belt. I'm gonna go in there and try and learn some stuff. I'm gonna keep an open mind, watch what he does. And I kind of have nothing to lose. Right. So if I wanna throw a move out there, I can do it. And if he gets shut down, I get tapped out, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. If you So, so that's the attitude mm-hmm. that will make you able to think and accept other ideas more, yeah. is to go in there with an attitude, not of like, he's gonna destroy me and I'm horrible, mm-hmm. but like, hey, I can go in there, take some risks, listen, learn some moves, pay attention, and that's okay. And I'm not a loser because of it. Mm-hmm. When you see a, uh, you know, like someone steps up in weight class, Jeff Glover steps up in weight class and goes up against a big monster mm-hmm. guy. That's equivalent level. So the guy has a huge advantage. And then Jeff gets beat. Do you go, man, what a loser? Mm-hmm. No, you freaking you give respect because he rolled the dice and he stepped in there and, and he got beat and it's no big deal. Jeff Glover does that in practice too. He'll like let you get a rear naked choke. Yeah. I've seen him let some random purple belt get a rear naked choke on him. And once it's sunk in, hooks are in, full rear naked choke, then you see Jeff start to try and escape. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him tap. After he let a guy get hooks, full rear naked choke, then starts to escape and he gets tapped. And he's like, hey, whatever. So it's not that big of a deal. If you can put your ego in check, it's not that big of a deal. So 
thinking to yourself consciously until you get in the habit of it, thinking to yourself like, hey, I might be wrong. I'm going into this conversation. I'm going into this meeting. I'm going into this planning session. I'm gonna have a discussion with my wife about something. Going into it and thinking to yourself, all right, I'm gonna be wrong and that's okay. Is an awesome way to adjust your attitude. It's an awesome way to open your mind and it's an awesome way to move forward in life. Does it mean you lack confidence? No, it doesn't. It means you're gonna win because your your mind is open and that's gonna allow you to get there. Yep, one of those easier said than done kind it's of definitely situation. easier said than done. It's definitely easier said than done. It's such the, the hard, one of the hardest parts about it is seeing that's an that it's an advantage. Yeah. Cuz you know what people say? It's like when you go into a room, you got to say tell yourself like I'm ready. I'm going to own that room. Yeah. I'm got I got I've got to you know they do the where you look in the mirror and you like raise your hands and you go like oh, <laughs> sure. I I yeah. am victory or whatever, right? Sure. That's what they yeah. tell you to say. Yeah. Sure. But if you go in there and say, "Hey, victory. Victory is coming out with the best idea from this group." That's mm-hmm. victory. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm going to have an open mind. I'm going to listen. It's how you win. Yeah. Yep. That's what's hard to get there. Yeah, it's one of those like struggles. It's it's kind of like a big picture versus small picture or a short term versus long term struggle. Where, um, and especially if you if you go in saying I could be wrong, kind of a thing, mm-hmm. you're already playing the long game yeah, already. So that in, you know, in life, yeah. that's everybody's yeah. struggle. Because by the way, what are the chances that the discussion that you and I are about to have is the most important and impactful and final discussion that you and I are ever going to have. The chances are about zero. Yeah, but that's a big picture perspective, yeah, which that doesn't come right away, like intuitively a lot of no. the time. Think about it. The big picture, small picture, short term, long term is your whole life. That's the the struggle in every aspect of life, like even relationships, freaking money, health, what you eat, what you exercise, you know, exercise, like everything, everything that you do. Strategic versus tactical. Exactly right. Long-term versus short-term. Yep. And so, um, and that also goes big big picture, small picture. So like if I say, if I start saying, which is a subtle difference, but if I'm like, hey, I could be wrong, you're, you being wrong isn't that big of a deal at the end of the day, right? That's a big picture attitude. Me being wrong when I say I'm right, that is a big deal. It's a bigger deal. Yes. And depending on the moment, size of your ego, it could be a huge deal. Huge deal. Exactly. And depending on the size of the other person's ego, it could be a huge deal. Because mm-hmm. they like that victory. Oh, and they yeah. like to see you squirming in defeat. Yeah. But. Why would you box yourself into that corner? Has very little impact in your life. Very little impact. Yeah. I mean, how many things are you debating in a day that has a massive impact on your life? Yeah, pr- not none, a lot. Not, I mean, unless you're d- debating with some world leader about well, something. Yeah, but you could be debating whether you make this investment, which is a lot of money for you. Yeah. And if it's that much money for you, maybe you should back it off a little bit. Yeah. So that is not a massive risk, but you still get some upside. In fact, shouldn't you really go in thinking you might be wrong? Yeah, if it's you a big should. amount of money. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, man. Got to be careful. Yeah. So just keep that idea in mind. It's it, it really I think people are scared of it because they think they're going to come across as they lack confidence. What's more confident? What's more confident when I roll into a room like, hey, I'm not 100% sure of this idea, but here's what I'm presenting or like my idea is right. Bro, you sound paranoid already. Point of no return right there. Please don't do it. Yeah. 
you just pad your like you just up the stakes. It's almost like social stakes kind of or ego stake, mm-hmm. but you just up the stakes all the way to like an unreasonable degree when you're when you come with that kind of conviction. <sighs> Don't do it. Now when you go I could be wrong, brother, stakes are very if, if kind of non-existent and really. The mi- and the mind is open. Exactly. The mind, mind is, is open. open. Check. All right, let's get to some Q&A. What do we got? <clears throat> First question, Jocko. I'm a police officer and signed up for BJJ because I know the quarterly refreshers we get aren't anywhere near the amount of training I need to be competent when I fight inevit- when a fight inevitably goes to the ground. I've been training since February and always try to go twice a week at least. There are a few competitions coming up in my area and I'm considering competing. Should I start competing this or, or should I start competing this early in my jiu-jitsu training or just focus on learning for now? I feel like I'm beginning to understand the concepts, but obviously have a lot, have a ton to learn. If your answer is to wait, at what point should I consider competing? Um, well, take some time. I I think it's good to wait for about a year. What do you think? No. No, you say go earlier. Yes, sir. Okay. Let me give you some of my reasons. You can retort. I'm going to come in with an open mind on this. Okay. Uh, so... I'm already probably going to adjust your mindset as soon as I say this. You're a police officer, so you don't want to get injured, hurt, broken, all that stuff, right? Because then you can't do your job. That sucks. When you train for a year in the academy, you're learning the positions, you're getting better, you're learning how to move your own body. The people that you're competing with are more advanced, which means there's less of a chance that they hurt you. The thing that scares me too is like, what does a year mean? Well, what a year means for someone that's training seven days a week for eight hours. For Gordon Ryan, what's a year? It's a shit ton of training. For this individual who's training twice a week, in parentheses, at least, but could be as few times as twice a week, twice a week a year isn't really a ton of training. Twice a week for one year isn't really a ton of training. So what I thought was, my recommendation for this particular individual who's a police officer, who needs to stay physically healthy, is to train in the academy until you're starting to get close to kind of tapping out some blue belts. Don't wait until you're tapping them, now you deserve a blue belt, but wait until you're like, okay, now I can kind of either get close to tapping some blue belts, maybe you catch one here and there, You're, you're harder to submit. I think that's a good time to say, okay, I'm a solid, really solid white belt, I'm gonna go compete. That's sort of my answer. Yeah. Did I revoke your opinion? You did, and you didn't revoke it, but you did adjust it. Yeah. Because yeah, being you know when you have a, a job or something going on in your life that is directly like more important, yeah. where yeah, you get injured or yeah. whatever. You're and by the way, of, if you're an accountant, yeah. you can still do your accounting job yeah. even if you have a bad elbow yeah. or you have a broken ankle. Yeah. Like it's okay. Yep. If you're a police officer, you're laid up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's different. Although, I mean, when you think about it, sure, you get injured in jujitsu. If you, but you get injured if you if you play pickup basketball 100%. twice a week, yeah, yeah, pickup yeah. basketball yeah, yeah, at yeah. the gym or on the courts or yeah. whatever, you're gonna get injured just as often if yep. if not more in basketball. I think it's that'd be my prediction. Yeah, any contact sport, soccer is another good one. People get the you know blowout knees yeah. and all that stuff. So yes, you have to be careful. I mean, could you say that theoretically you could go into an exercise program, and I'm using those terms very specifically, where you could really, really mitigate the chances of injury? 
Yeah, you could do that. You're also not going to be hyper-functional. You're not going to be ready for some wild stuff to happen. So any contact sport that you're going to do has a level of injury that can happen. And I'll tell you another thing with grappling. When you start doing takedowns, your chances of getting hurt go up a lot. I would say 5x. Yeah. Did you hear what I just said? Five. If you're doing takedowns, I love takedowns. I love wrestling. They're hugely important. You know how need to know how to do them. If you're training them all the time, you're five times more likely, in my off the cuff estimation, yeah. to get hurt. Yeah, I think you're right. If you're doing them live, yes. I would say the times I've gotten hurt, I've gotten hurt five times more often from doing takedowns than yeah. I have from. That's where I came up with that number. So <laughs> it's not scientific. <laughs> But yeah, well, it was, in, yeah, and I, I, I try, although I do do this, I try not to do this, where I kind of map on my very specific experience mm-hmm. to, like, everyone's experience. So, yeah, takedowns, like, we do live takedowns c- coming up, and even for yep. competition, live takedowns, what, once a week, maybe, mm. live. Well, it depends on, I mean, there was time, there's times where I trained live takedowns every day. Yes. Yeah, every, every go started with a takedown right which which again that's like cool man and that's something in that era of my life yeah you know do i do that right now no i don't do that right now we would do takedown drills Mm -hmm. and stuff more than live takedowns and at that point i wasn't really thinking like oh this is the smartest way to do i just listened to coach you know whatever and yeah sometimes we'd start from standing or whatever um, but for real, like once a week, start from standing as far as like a routine. Yep. The rest was all like on the pad, drilling, drilling. And I, f- I felt that that helped. Yep. I'm not saying that's a better or worse way to do it. Yeah. And I just want to ca- cautionary tale. You have to learn takedowns and you have to drill takedowns and you have to do takedowns. So yeah. don't get me wrong. That's one thing. That, man, if you wrestled in high school, you're so happy in life because there's... N- it's very difficult as an adult to put that kind of time, effort, and injury-free training. Because look, look, you're 14. Mm. Oh, your 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 knee just ta- touched the back of your scapula. <laughs> you're like, oh, shake it out, go again. It's no big deal. You're if you're an older, less flexible individual, like you fall down one time and it's, you know you're you're in a wheelchair for the rest of the day. So, you but you ha- but if you haven't done takedowns. You, you need to do takedowns. You, you, you actually just have to. You have to have, and you know what you have to do? You have to figure out how to chain together basically three takedowns that become your kind of go-to. Mm-hmm. So you go from a single, you switch to a double, and then you go to a, go to a seatbelt. Like you, you gotta get your little combo that is gonna work for you that you can use in these clutch situations, especially if you're a police officer. Like here's my go-to. This is what's happening. Man, I think the police is my opinion, obviously. But I think the police scenario would be better off less with um, wrestling and more with a judo or maybe a Greco scenario. Could, could be, yeah. It's way less risk. You start shooting doubles and singles yeah, yeah. and you're not that good at it. You got the street or whatever kind of situation. I'd say when you compare that to a judo scenario. Yeah. And just to be clear here, there's, for lack of a better word, there's combatives takedowns that you can do. Yeah. that you should look at, uh, i.e., one of my favorites was grab somebody by the hair and you have a lot of control over it and you can put them in places that they don't want to be necessarily. Mm-hmm. So bottom line here is 
um, I would say get to a point in training where you're kind of starting to tap or close to tapping blue belts. You're not getting tapped a bunch. You th- Then you can start looking at doing competition because that way I think you're going to be safe in the bracket. Yeah, actually, at the end of the day, I think I do agree with you more than my original premise. Also, too, not to mention, when you start competing, sometimes this can happen. A lot of times this will happen where you like the competition so much where it's like now you're training for a competition. And meanwhile, it's like, hey, we kind of need you out there as a policeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for that shifted focus, hey, look, I, I dig the whole I do jujitsu and I'm a policeman. Boom. Uh, that's to me perfect. But what you're talking about, like he's not going to work. Cause <laughs> <laughs> Your mind can shift and be more in competition. Oh, OK, got it. So you got to be careful of the mindset yeah. of a sport jujitsu mindset. Got I it. think yeah, that's so, true. too. That's, yep. that's more of a side note. But, um, yeah, I it's, think a, I agree it's, it's an important side note. Yeah, you don't want to be like you're over here working the barambolos when yeah. you aren't thinking about the fact that when you're on the bottom in the guard, you can get punched in the face and you better learn how to deal with that because yep. that's a real thing. Yep. And you don't, you can be a total non jujitsu person and you're a street thug mm-hmm. and you bum rush some cop and you, he falls down and he puts you in the guard and starts looking for a, you know, a sweep. And meanwhile, you just sit there and punch him in the face punch the cop in the face, that's not good. Mm-hmm. So yes, great point. Sport jiu-jitsu is great. It will, it will allow you to win so many confrontations. If you're not careful, it can be a training scar that will cost you. So there we go. Play. Next question. I'm a police officer. Oh, dang. Yep. And I started BJJ. Check. Several months ago. I'm 5'8 and weigh 235. I am muscular and in good shape. I was recently given advice to use the advantages my body size and shape give me in jiu-jitsu. Since I'm new to jiu-jitsu, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can and feel lost sometimes. Jocko, since I am shaped similar to you, what are some advantages your body style has given you and what are some things I should focus on? Thanks for your help. Well, uh, you can chime in too since I guess you and I have similar body styles as this dude. We're basically... uh, you know, not too tall and kind of heavy, you know, 220. What do you weigh right now? 25. Yeah, so you're 225. I'm 235. Um, yeah, do you want to take advantage of your body shape and style? Yes, you do. Uh, so we'll start with that. What can you do? The, the whole idea of smash passing, the whole idea of securing people's hips, the whole idea of using your weight to secure them in positions so that you can set up submissions so you can set up passes for your submissions so that that's real simple and real straightforward there's actually not there's actually not a lot to expand on mm-hmm. from there like hey you are heavy you're heavier than most people i mean 235 is above the average weight of a human someone that's much bigger than you this is a scary dude. Um, but but what you're doing is you're uh, you're 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 smashing. You you learn to smash. You learn to put. You learn to apply your weight. That's what you need to learn how to do. Just because you're heavy doesn't mean you can be sloppy applying your weight. You still need to apply your weight to the right places so that when you do run against someone that's bigger, you can utilize it. So using your weight is important. 
using your weight if you have it is how you would to quote what he's saying take advantage of his body size and shape yes now here's what i think here's what i actually think because i know someone told you that which is cool what i actually think is you should try to not utilize your body weight as the primary mode of operating and here's to the extreme that i took it when I started jujitsu, I hated being on the bottom. Why did I hate being on the bottom? Because when I was on top, I had an advantage because I was heavier than most of the guys I was rolling with. So I'd rather be on top smashing people. So what did I do? Started on the bottom all the time. That's what I did. I started on the bottom all the time. I worked on my guard. I worked on my bottom game. I got to a point where I was very comfortable when someone was mounted on me, when someone was across side from me. I had escapes. I could get out of there. And I focused on not my body size and shape. I focused on areas that were not advantageous to me. That's what I did. Now, if uh, if you know if Echo bows up to me and is like, "Today's your day, Jocko. You're going down." Do I say, "Cool, I'm going to abandon my size advantages and my weight advantages, and I'm just going to utilize the weakest natural part of my game?" No, I'm not going to do that. But if we're just if he just comes, "Hey, man, you want to roll?" Yes. Now I go, "Cool. Let me work on some of my weaknesses." So. Could you take it to an extreme where your top game now sucks because you just spend all time? Yeah, you could get there. Don't let that happen. But I like to focus on the areas of my game that are not natural. I still utilize the natural stuff all day long, of course. I mean, we 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 try and be strong so we can use our strength if we have to. You know, like occasionally I'll pass your guard and be across side. You will bench press me off of you. And I'll be like, yeah, well. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, it, it, do I go, hey, you just used your strength. Yeah. No, I go, hey, man, good job. You used your strength. Mm. I might say, like, if we were just working on some stuff, I might be say, hey, man, that works on me, but it's not going to work on a bigger guy. And you go, okay, yeah, good point. What did I do? You know, I said, maybe you shift your weight over here, maybe you could tuck this knee in there. So you learn the techniques that are better than the strength, better than the weight. Keep training, man. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it's a sound advice right there. I mean, it I mean, just a holistic kind of way to look at it is you're gonna have a certain I think five eight two thirty-five is actually a, and, a, it's a big deviation from your body yeah, style. Yeah, and yours technically and, too, because we're yeah. both, what, what, you're 5'11"? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 5'11", you're 5'11". Yeah, that 235 at 5'8", is, is definitely, you're right. That's, that's a, a good point. different body that's style. A, that's a good point. So I'd say we're right in the middle. I'd say at 5'10", 5'11", you're in the middle. Even maybe a six foot, depending on the body like shape or whatever. Like right in the middle, where... You know, you can probably do all the moves. No specific move is going to, like, you're not going to have that much of an advantage doing uh, any specific move yeah. because of your body yeah. shape or whatever. No. Not like someone that's 6'6 six, six that has yep. a great triangle. Exactly. Like, right. they have a legit great triangle. Yep. You don't really have a legit great anything at yeah. 5, 11, 10, 11. Yeah, I mean, 230. You, you could, maybe a guillotine or so, just other, but things yeah, that... Yeah, but those aren't specific too. I mean, there's really small guys that have great guillotines. Yeah, exactly right. That's what I'm saying, where where you can, yeah, you can develop your game, and but as far as your body type, it lends less advantages to mm. certain moves. It's pretty 
evenly yeah. spread. Now you start going like shorter, you have certain advantages yep. and then certain disadvantages and you can start going taller, same kind of deal, yeah. right? And same thing with heavy, heavier, yeah. lighter. Exactly, you exactly know, the, right. the, the mobile hips on the bottom, the wiry, the lanky, yeah. like there's all these things. Yeah, especially, and then you add the flexibility part of yeah, it. It's like kind of- that flexibility. Yeah, the flexibility. Height and flexibility is- those Conditioning those is another oh, thing. Like you huge. can work like, oh, you and me go, if I got really good conditioning, I'll out condition you, can make you all tired. And then, yeah. then win. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get like an explosive guy mm, versus, yep. the, you know, so yeah, it's a, you know, it's a thing. Um, but a holistic way of looking at it is as you learn jujitsu, certain, but just try to learn all the moves mm-hmm. and slowly, but surely you're going to find moves that you, that come pretty natural to you mm-hmm. because of your body style. And sometimes because of your attitude too, by the way, that's yeah, part of the true. game. And then other moves are going to be like, man, you're going to have a harder time getting them. Like if you're 5'8", 235, muscular, by the way, and you try to do a triangle on another guy who's 5'8", 235, or freaking anyone, 235. It's going to be a problem. It's, it's, you're going to have more difficulty yep. than, let's say, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, guy. Sarge wasn't throwing tri- – Sarge's out there throwing triangles up on people. Very rarely. Yeah. Yes, sir. So uh, keep that in mind. But at the same time, he's built like a bowling ball. <laughs> I think he's built like this guy. Yeah. Right yeah. yeah. So, um, so you're going to have that going through. So, uh, but that does not mean, hey, you should never train triangles. You should train triangles. So, yes. so you can make certain technical adjustments to become better at triangles. And in my opinion, more importantly, you're not a stranger to triangles, mm. offense and defensive. Um, and then, you know, as your game sorts itself out, just in training, don't be neglectful of moves. But at the same time, understand what your strengths are. And, man, freaking capitalize on that one. Strength To me, strength is the only one that you want to really rarely capitalize mm, on. Yeah. Only because you don't want that to be one of the long. You don't want that to be the long pole in your game tent. Exactly. Just I'm strong. <laughs> exactly right. Because there's always someone stronger. And that will fail you. Yeah, yeah, there's always you, someone stronger. If, and you'll get tired. Like if you, if I bench press you off of me, bro, that's not sustainable. No. You go, you tri- buzz past me or something, like you trade pass again, I bench press you off again, because you can pass longer than I can bench press you. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. You'll keep the pass attacks coming, and my yeah, bench press will, will fail. <laughs> will fail. <laughs> you know, as far as the strength of it goes, dang. But sure. nonetheless, I would say that's a holistic view of it right on next question next question. hi jocko and echo charles i'm in the military and have been for about 15 years through my time i've seen a lot of different leadership styles come and go some great and some not so great currently we have a guy that is a genuine sociopath and he's at the top he's a warrant officer class two and in control of our troop there are many examples of how bully how he bullies people micromanages and purposely wastes people's time this has driven the morale of the troop into the ground, but nobody wants to say anything because everyone is intimidated by him up and down the chain of command. What can I do to rectify this situation? All right, so <clears throat> let's start off with the obvious, which we hope is obvious for you at this point in in the game, right? Obviously, we're trying to build a relationship with this individual. We're trying to do what he wants us to do so that we start to earn his trust, so that we can start to influence him, so that we can steer him in the right direction, so we can help him become a better leader, not a micromanager, not a bully, and not purposely wasting people's time. That, that's, what, that's, what the, that's the initial answer here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in life. That's what we're doing. Now, here's where it gets a little bit 
here, here's where this situation needs to be analyzed a little bit more closely. Use the term genuine sociopath. Okay, so that's a bold statement. That's a heavy statement. There aren't a lot of genuine sociopaths. What's the percentage of genuine sociopaths in the world? I think it's like 1%, 2%, something like this. Mm. It's not a huge number. So there's, a ch- there's chances that that this that he is a genuine sociopath. There's also chances that this is just you and you don't have a good relationship with him and no one's helping build a relationship with him and you're just jacked up. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go build a relationship, you're gonna try and be able to influence, you're gonna steer him in the right direction, everything I just said. But there is also a chance, be it small, that this guy is a legit, genuine sociopath. And if that's true, you kinda need to do something about it. You need to do something about it, never mind kinda. So what are we gonna do? First of all, I start documenting some of this behavior that you're talking about. You document this behavior, you're writing it down, you're keeping notes, you are talking to other people to see if they perceive things the same way, see if maybe they can help you document, if they can add to your documentation. So you wanna, there's a little nuance with that. If you're scared about the whole environment, because he might have a couple people that are on board with him, so you might not want to run around going, hey, would you help me? You, you might want to keep this to yourself. Yeah. This, is, this is two different courses of actions. Let's, the primary one, I think, is keeping it to yourself, because you don't know what the hell's going on here. So I, I would actually start off just by keeping it to myself, documenting what is happening, and then once I have a good case, most military have some kind of a anonymous reporting procedure where you can, you know, they have a, a, a hotline you can call. They have a place where you can drop a note in a basket. Something like that, some r- anonymous reporting option, I would start by putting together a solid document and explaining through this anonymous channel what the, what the issue is here. So, so that's, that's a course of action. Another course of action, now if you don't get any response, nothing, nothing happens, nothing changes, you may have to report this up the chain of command. Again, if this dude's a sociopath, that's a real problem. So I would look to kind of socialize it a little bit, see where people are, because there's a chance that the senior leadership that you go report him to actually are friends with him, have a good relationship with him. They immediately go, hey, Fred freaking said that you're a sociopath and now you're getting written up and kicked out and all kinds of trouble, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you need to use caution here. Build those relationships above him in the chain of command. Talk, you know, Drop some hints. See what, the, see, see what happens when you socialize this idea. How can you get it out there? You know, um, how can you start to see if you have a strong enough relationship with the senior leader to see if you could talk to him? And then you might get to a point where you go, hey boss, can I talk to you for a few minutes? I wanna tell you what's going on with Bill. And then you tell him what's going on with Bill. You tell Fred what's going on with Bill. You tell Fred your boss what's going on. Fred, your boss's boss, what's going on with Bill. So that's another option. 
the the other option is to sort of take the the direct approach which again this is why I'm talking about this one last but is to get your ducks in a row document what's going on and request to talk to request to skip him in the chain of command and go and talk directly to the senior leader and say here's what's going on now there's all kinds of problems with that it's all kinds of potential problems look is there a chance that the boss goes oh i didn't know he like acted like that thank you for reporting that to me there's a chance there's also a chance he goes it sounds to me like you're complaining you don't know hey bill's been my guy forever i can't believe you're trying to go behind his back like that stuff happens so you got to brace for impact if that's the route you want to go you also got to be able to protect the rest of your team so But that is sort of a final course of action. If this guy is such a genuine sociopath that you got to say something. Um, So that's what we're doing. What do I hope you have the ability to do? Is go build a relationship with them. Shield your team, right? You shield your team. You, You say, hey, boss, you don't need to come out here and you know, do this. I'm going to run. I'll be, I'll stand right over the people as they do it. Hey boss, I'll, I'll go counsel echo about his mess up. I, you shouldn't have to mess with things like this. And I go, Hey, Echo, you can't screw that where he would have jumped down your throat. You sort of become a buffer between the sociopath and the team. So that's sort of the primary course of action while you're trying to build a relationship. The problem with that is you're not solving the problem. That's the problem. And this guy moves on to another position and he terrorizes someone else and negatively impacts our operational capability capability within the military. So look, if that doesn't work, if the relationship building or doesn't work, it may be time to try some anonymous channels, which just about every workplace has some kind of anonymous channel of reporting. And if that doesn't work, maybe you look at skipping the chain of command, requesting a meeting, and having a talk with your senior leadership that you take ownership during by saying, hey, I don't think I'm doing a good job, but in interacting with Bill, because it seems like he treats me as if I'm an idiot. Why do you think he treats you like an idiot? He called me an idiot yesterday, <laughs> you know? But you go, you take some ownership, and you explain to your boss's boss what's going on and how bad the situation is, and you do it with a with a nice pile of documentation that is hard for him to refute yeah this sociopath scenario. i mean there's psychopath and there's sociopath yeah. i think i think there's like a de- or there is a definition for like psychopath there is sociopath yep. you know where you can be a normal functioning psychopath totally you know, and all this stuff. but there's like this definition and a lot of the time, I think when you get when you butt heads with someone and you believe that you're right, and they're unreasonable and they're wrong and they're whatever, like I think, let's face it, sometimes you think they're a sociopath, right? Mm. Or at the very least, you're kind of you kind of end up just oh, he's just a sociopath. Yep. That's why he doesn't see it my way, kind of a thing. And let's face it, I mean, you can get into that situation with your own brother. So. Yep. Again, what you're pointing out, the even more obvious thing, which I think I also said is, like, check yourself. That's what I'm saying. It goes along with what you're saying to begin with, where it's like, go into this whole situation holistically. I said it. 
where, yeah, I could be, I could be wrong. He might not be a sociopath. Yeah. Maybe we're just, there's a disconnect somewhere, you know? Yep. Or maybe just a difference of philosophy. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Yep. The genuine sociopath is a bold statement to make about someone. Yeah. And it could be true. Yeah. That's absolutely right. It yeah. could be true. Chances are it's probably not, but it could be true. That's why you got to, that's why we got to cover the spectrum and how to handle it. Because yeah. if he's a general, genuine sociopath, then something needs to be done about it before he goes and really hurts the team, hurts the mission, hurts somebody. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Next question. Thanks for the content. Question for the San Diego surfers. Oh. East Coast visitor that wants to surf San Diego. Novice slash intermediate skill. Any recommendations on what breaks to hit and when? I've heard the early morning crowd at all spots are pretty heavily local and to stay around La Jolla. Any feedback? Thanks again. Uh, Yeah, cool. Um, I'm glad that you sort of have that impression. It's a good impression to have of that there's localized breaks out here and you don't want to roll into these localized breaks from the East Coast ready to rock and roll. And because that's just not what, what, that's not a good way to go about it. But hey, it's California. You want to come out and surf? I, I would actually say going to Pacific Beach mm. to surf. And you said La Jolla. La Jolla is a big area, and there's some extremely localized breaks in La Jolla that I would recommend you do not go to. <clears throat> there's, you know, could you go? There's, if I were you, would be looking for big beaches. So the biggest beach is Pacific Beach. And if you go to Pacific Beach, Pacific Beach has some very nice waves. It's also a big, giant, massive, open beach that runs for a couple miles, a few miles maybe even, of just straight beach. And so if you go there, the the chances that there's gonna be a local in the spot where you paddle out on this two mile long beach, the chances are very small. And if someone starts giving you, what the hell are you doing out here? You go, cool, you paddle 200 yards away and you're good. So I, I think just going to Pacific Beach is my recommendation because it's so big. There's, begin, there's a lot of beginners that go there. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say this if it wasn't, on, you know, if there was going to be San Diego surfers that'd be like, I can't believe he said go to Pacific Beach. It's like everyone goes to Pacific Beach. Right. So that's what I would do. I would go to Pacific Beach. It's a nice big open beach. There's a lot of people that begin their surfing career or, you know, they're learning to surf in Pacific Beach. Maybe it's not necessarily going to be a career. <laughs> sure, no career. Do, don't they have like those like surf school? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. A, he's intermediate. Yeah, he says he's intermediate. So yeah. I didn't. I, well, he said novice intermediate. Well, so right. that's a big difference, right? Novice means you suck. Intermediate means you're okay. So if you're novice and you suck, I would go to a surf school. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And that way they'll take you to a spot where you're not going to bother anybody. I'm sure he meant beginner intermediate. Okay. You know, novices. Novices, like, I don't want to. I don't want to split hairs with the technical terms. Um, But, yeah, is like, is Pacific Beach, that's kind of, that's like a safe choice, right? Because it, that's, that's kind of everybody. Yeah, that's what I think. And it's so big that there's not, like, a little spot right, where, right. where you're going to get stuck like you go to a reef break in San Diego, mm-hmm. the takeoff spot is very small, mm-hmm. and if you're not from there, it's gonna, not going to be fun for you. 
So if you ever watched North Shore, I, f- I asked you this night. You, wait, did you? Uh, North Shore? I can't remember it. Rick Kane from Arizona. Yeah, it's like wave pool and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they yeah this, still like, If you're a surfer, you at least know this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So you don't roll up to one of these localized breaks, as it mm. were. And when they say, hey, these are our waves, you don't say, hey, I don't see your name on them. That's Ooh. not the dude, right? That's not the attitude yeah, we want. Don't do that. We want to go to PB and, be, you know. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Um, Where you go to surf. Yes. Is that localized? Like, let's say I didn't yes. know you and I was a. Yep. So you're going to tell me, hey, these are our waves. Nope. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to ask. Not you. Not you. I know you're different, but. You will likely if let me put it this way if you come out and you're cool just like pretty much anywhere if you come out you're cool you wait your turn you're not getting anyone's way you're not being stupid you'll probably be okay Hmm. you come out you're out of line you're dropping in you're doing dumb stuff that's going to be a problem so and and then you'll just get to hey man like you don't don't surf here Yeah. Or you'll get dropped in on like you're not going to catch any waves. Yeah, people are just going to out paddle you. Yeah, Yeah. you're just going to get let you. It's like no, you can't surf here. That makes sense. I mean, because there's kind of I mean, if you even think that it's a thing, where on one hand it's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm a human being. You know, I'm trying to surf. How am I supposed to get better? I don't see names on the waves. Yeah, like if you have that attitude and you think that that's a legitimate attitude, that's a smaller, maybe a smaller picture way to look at it. Where. Yeah, like this is, the, it's the ocean. No one owns these waves. No, I have a right to be here just yeah. like you kind of a, a thing, right? But there's only a limited amount of room on those limited amount of waves. Yeah. And sure, they keep coming, but they come and go, whatever. And they're, they are limited at the end of the day. Yep. And if they were for everyone, everyone would be there. So, yes, you got to wait your turn in that regard. Where, yeah, you can't just decide, you know what, I'm going to be a surfer right now. So let me saturate yeah. like this spot where these guys, in a matter of speaking, kind of paid their dues, mm-hmm. essentially. That's the truth. And then, not to mention, you're kind of wasting waves in a lot of way. Yeah. If you're getting in people's way, oh, yeah. um, not doing the right thing. Because, you know, there's a flow to a certain, I'm, I'm not even a surfer. But I know this. I know there's a flow to it. Yeah, there is. It's like driving on the freeway. You can't go in the... Fast lane going all slow. No. And you can't be changing lanes going all slow either. So, Brett, you got to know how to drive. You got to know how to drive in the correct lane. Yeah. See what I'm saying? In some breaks, that's not even your lane even to be there. Surf etiquette. Sure, surf etiquette. Surf etiquette. It's a big deal. That's what they call it. So, yeah, man, have a good time over there in PB. Yeah. <laughs> good waves in PB. Yeah. It, I it's think. it's I a know. good spot, and you won't be in anyone's way. And, and, People generally be not protective of the spot because it's huge. Yeah. There you go. Some good advice, I think. I think so. Next question. Good morning. For the last eight years, I've been dedicated to a company that consistently provides an excellent but always life-changing product. Over the last, over the last few years, they have lost their strongest leaders, and now I'm trying to, trying to decide if it's worth continuing to fight within a team that incre- increasingly doesn't share my values of trying to be the best in every aspect of what we do or go find a new team with a company where my efforts will go further. After all my time with this company, I moved to a newly developed position this spring. Within a few months, it was eliminated and with consideration that my institutional knowledge and past performance should be highly valuable in the company, I asked for a bigger position as my next assignment. Everyone took 
everyone I look to for guidance in big decisions says I should run from this company. But how do you quit when not giving up is a core component of what makes you good at your job. <clears throat> okay, so here's the prerequisite on this one, right? The obvious. Yeah. Number one, are you sure that you're as good as you think you are, right? Are you sure that you have this institutional knowledge and this awesome past performance and that you've built good relationships? Are you as good as you are? think you are? And with this company change and the... The strong leaders gone. Have you done everything to build good relationships with the new leaders? Have you supported their plans? Have you tried to understand their perspective? Have you have you made sure that you're not the one with a closed mind? Have you tried to garner influence by allowing them to influence you? Have you listened to them so that they listen to you? Have you put trust in them so they put trust in you? Have you put forth all that kind of effort? And you've put forth legitimate effort to make that happen and you're still not getting any influence over them. Is, is that where you're at? And, and if the answer to that is yes, if the answer is that you've sort of exhaustively tried to play the game and build relationships and do all those things I just said, and you haven't been able to make any progress and time has passed and you're still not getting there, then yes, Yes, it is time to move on. Now, how is this not quitting? How is this not quitting? And this is the opposite of, well, it's it's the same as, but it's the opposite of, Echo, you work for me, and you're not performing up to speed. So whose fault is that? Well, it's my fault. So I take ownership and I say, hey, Echo, here's what you gotta do, and I, I, didn't, I wasn't clear enough, and you still don't perform up to speed. Mm. And so, but that's my fault, because I'm the leader, so I say, oh, Echo, I'm gonna send you to this school, I'm gonna mentor you twice a day, and you still don't perform up to school, up to speed. And I say, oh, that's my fault, taking extreme ownership, and I say, okay, Echo, uh, I need to help you do your job every day. And so you can see where I'm going with this. Mm. Eventually, there's a possibility that Echo's not capable of doing his job, mm. and I can't, what I have to take ownership of now is I have to take ownership of removing Echo from this position before he negatively impacts the rest of the team. So you go through the efforts, you make the effort to help Echo get up to speed. You make the effort to train him, to mentor him. You use the indirect methodology, use the direct methodology. You do a left seat, right seat, you do everything you can. And then you look up and you go, man, he's still not, doing what he needs to do. I need to take ownership of that. He's not capable of doing his job. He needs to go away. That happens. It happened in Task Unit Bruiser. We fired two guys from Task Unit Bruiser. We tried to counsel. We tried to mentor. We tried to retrain. We were ineffective in doing that. They did not have the capability of doing their jobs. We got rid of them. So, this is the same thing, but backwards. You do your best. You, <laughs> you build the relationships, you support their plans, you, you try and understand their perspective, you make sure the problem isn't you, you try and gain influence, you do all those things. And at a certain point, you realize that you've done everything that you can, and there's nothing more that you can do And maybe it's not to the nothing more that you can do. I mean, I don't want you to waste 
five years because you could you could carry that. Well, I could I could uh, I could wait till that one leader dies and then a new leader will come in and then I could maybe build a relationship. No, <laughs> you got to be reasonable. The way you judge it with the person on your team is if you're investing so much time into one person on your team that it's hurting the rest of the team. That's when you know, all right, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and by the way, if I tried to coach. Echo and I he didn't work out so I had to fire him and then I had to coach Bill and it didn't work out so I had to fire him then I had to try and coach Fred and it didn't work out so I had to go yeah guess what it's your problem mm-hmm. you're the problem so if you if you were at a company three years before this and it the leadership sucked and so you left and you went to this company and then the leadership sucked and then you went to another company and then the leadership yeah it's you mm-hmm. but if you're self-aware if you're truly self-aware, if you can detach and look at the situation and do an honest assessment of it and recognize that, you know what, I've done everything I can or I've made at least a very concerted effort to fix this problem and I have failed, it's time for me to take ownership of my life and start to create a strategy for me to exit and go find another place to work. That's it. Pretty straightforward. I, mean, I always thought, and I, I thought this about fighting, like fight a street fight, whatever, mm-hmm. like fighting somebody that you know or don't like or whatever. Mm-hmm. You fight them because you don't have a better solution. Okay. So you wind up fighting. It's like a last resort, yep. essentially. Now, is there a better solution? It's not guaranteed. It could be that fighting them is the best solution. That's why you couldn't find a better solution, mm-hmm. right? Given your personalities yep, or yep, whatever. Yep, yep. And this goes for a lot of things. Firing somebody, same, yep. same deal. Yep. Pretty much anything, any decision, right? You can't find a better solution. But I guess the important part of that would be, is it because it for real is giving your values and interests or whatever? Is it the best solution? Or are you just failing to find the better solution? Yep. So it's like you got to figure that out first. Yeah. And that's why you have to be able to be self-aware enough to say, you know what? I said I made an effort to build a relationship with yeah. you know my boss, but I haven't. Yeah, and that's the reality. And I got to do that. Or you're like, listen, that person has a totally negative attitude. I've tried this method. I've tried that method. I've tried indirect. I've tried direct. I've tried to uh, support what they're doing. And I'm not making any progress. Or I'm not making enough progress that's having some impact. Yeah. You got to take ownership of that. Mm-hmm. And it might be time to move on. Mm-hmm. So speaking of moving on, thank you for joining us, everybody. Thanks for supporting the cause. I don't know. A little demonetization happening right now with some of our videos, some of the things that we're doing, some of the podcasts, some, some, some uh, what is it, fact checks going on. Yeah, so thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate it. Check out JockoFuel.com, OriginUSA.com, JockoStore.com. Check out the books. Check out EchelonFront.com. Check out ExtremeOwnership.com. That's a lot of dot-coms. Hey, by the way, it's all on Jocko.com if you just want to hit that up. (laughs) And we appreciate the support that you're giving us right here, allowing us to maintain our freedom united with you on the underground. Until next time, Zeko and Jocko, out.